Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, I'm so thankful you're here today. Thanks for worshiping with us. We have been walking through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings here as of late, and we're going to continue that this morning. We're in Romans chapter 2, and this is going to be a pretty unique message, pretty unique message title perhaps. Uh, Today's message title is simply Disarming a Religious Spirit, Disarming a Religious Spirit. Now, I want to kind of give you a little bit of breakdown on what that means. That may kind of like you may be sitting there wondering what on planet earth does that even mean? Well, there's certain words in the English language that are a little bit difficult for people who are learning the vocabulary for the first time, maybe they're from out of the country, or maybe they're a child and they, you use a word and they've never heard the word used like that before, so you have to kind of translate it for them. Uh, the other day we were, we were eating supper at our home and I looked at my two girls who are ages eight and five and I looked at them and I said, girls, your mama made a mean supper. And my five-year-old popped up and said, mom is not mean. And I said, no, 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 mean means good. I was saying mom made a good supper. So now her favorite way to describe every meal is to say, man, this is a mean meal. Well, I'm not sure what your definition of religion or religious is. So I want to make sure we're defining it correctly so you'll be able to get on board with what I'm putting down this morning. You know, religion on its merit can be a very good thing. Jesus said, pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. So there are some, there are some, some things we can do that are pleasing to the Lord that is considered religious, religious, activity, religious activity. However, too often we see a different type of activity that gets categorized or labeled as religion or religious. Uh, A religious spirit, and I want to define this to you, this is my own personal definition, but just so we can be on the same page. A religious spirit is a mindset that finds confidence in our own righteousness instead of a righteousness that comes from Jesus. That's what a religious spirit is. A religious spirit is someone that believes that they are good enough to please God instead of depending on the goodness of Jesus to please God. A person with a religious spirit may do the right things, but they might do it with the wrong heart, which makes a religious spirit sometimes, when it's in us, hard to discern because you're going through the right motions, but the heart behind the motion could be missing. A religious spirit puts its confidence in outward demonstrations instead of the life-changing inward transformation that Jesus has done inside of us. So this morning I want to talk about disarming a religious spirit. And we pick it up in Romans chapter 2. It says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for, for you judge others and you do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. 
Since you judge others for doing things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself a day For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He'll judge everyone according to what they've done. He'll give eternal life to those who keep doing good, seeking after the glory and the honor and the mortality that God offers. But he'll pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who who refuse to obey the truth and instead live for lives of wickedness. There'll be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good to the Jew first and also the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Father, we love you and we know the word of God always works. The word of God never returns void, but always goes forward and accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. And I pray this morning that's exactly what will happen, that the word of God will work. I pray that my words will be diminished so that the words of God can be mighty. Lord, your words need no help. They need no anointing because they're already God-breathed. They're already God-inspired. Father, I need your help. I need you to breathe on me so I can speak what you want spoken. This congregation needs you to breathe on them so that we can all hear and rejoice together and respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to us today. And we'll give you thanks for it. Amen. If anyone is ever going to give us insight on how to disarm a religious spirit, it would be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been trapped in, captive of, perhaps even proud of, the fact of this religious spirit that was owned by so many prior to his conversion. As a matter of fact, at one point, we'll get into it later, Paul even gets into a a bragging contest about how religious he was before he met Jesus. But then he says this, everything I was, all the religion that I practice, he said, now I count it as rubbish. I count it for nothing compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus. Can I tell you the reason we have to disarm a religious spirit today is because if we're not careful, a religious spirit can get in the way of us knowing Jesus. Amen? That's the plan today, is I want us to make sure that we know Jesus. We're worshiping Jesus. We're not in love with a form. We're not in love with a fashion. We're not committed to a tradition. We're not committed to a denomination. We're committed to Jesus. We're following Jesus. We're in love with Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Jesus, my life has to be built on nothing less but Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That's the only thing that lasts in life. is when I'm based on Him and not some mindset that I, I find or I make up. See, the antidote, this isn't in your notes, I don't think, but you might want to write, write it down. The antidote to a religious spirit is the righteousness that flows from Jesus. That's it. It's when we realize my life is not based on what I can do, what I am, where I'm from. It's based on who Jesus is and what He did for me and my acceptance of His grace. 
So there's what I'm aiming us today, to move from religious observance to a life that embraces Jesus and His righteousness. And this shift of heart, it may not even change what we do. It could be that you're going through the right motions. But it will change why we do it. So today, I have not come to bring a magnifying glass so that you can look at someone else and discover the religious spirit in them. Today, I have asked the Lord to allow His Word instead to be a mirror so that the Word and the Holy Spirit, instead of pointing out to us the religious spirit in others, would help us discover any religious spirit that's in ourselves. Anything that would block us from knowing Christ intimately would be revealed to us personally so that we can confess it and repent and know Him more. So how do I know if I have fallen victim to a religious spirit? How do I know if, if, if the attitude of my heart, the thought process of my mind are truly truly God-pleasing, truly leaning on the righteousness of God and not my own righteousness. I'm going to give you a few ways to identify a religious spirit. I'll just say it again. I'm not trying to get you to identify it in others. I'm asking the Lord to help us identify it in me, in each of us. And here's the first thing He tells us in Scripture, is a religious spirit condemns in others what is present in you. Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on others when you do the same things? See, a person who is driven by the wrong spirit will be bothered most by what's going on in someone else's life that is the same thing that is going on in their life. We'll try to get the attention off of us so people don't see our shortcomings and let's put it on them so the focus will be off of us. But John three seventeen, the word says that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, right? But through Him the world might be saved. We find this religious spirit active in John chapter 8. The uh, religious authorities were trying to get Jesus in trouble. They're trying to trick Him, test Him, see if He would make decisions based on the way they uh, interpreted the law. And so they caught a woman, in the very act of adultery. They drug her to the presence of Jesus and they asked Jesus, hey, the law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And you know the story in, in Scripture. Jesus kneeled down and He began to write some things on the sand or in the dirt. And as He wrote one by one, those men began to walk away. And Jesus said, whoever... Whoever has no sin, would you cast the first stone? And they begin to drop their stones and walk away until there was none of them left. And there's been a lot of commentators and scholars and people who've tried to figure out what was it that was so significant that Jesus walked, 
that he wrote in the sand that would cause people to walk away. There's a lot of people that think that Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments on the ground and that, that none of them were, 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 were completely innocent of those. And so they became aware of their religious coverings and walked away. I heard one person say, this is not in Scripture, by the way. I heard one person say he began to write the first and last name of all these other people's adulterous affairs. I don't know what it was, but Jesus, somehow in that moment, those who were ready to throw stones walked away. They became aware that they were in no position to throw a stone. And I just want to remind us, neither are we. Right? There's another place in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 7, that asks the question, who are we to be consumed with a beam I'm sorry, with a speck in someone else's eyes when we ourselves are harboring a a beam or a cross tie in our own eye. See, I'm a slow learner. I, I really am. But I'm starting to get a grip on the fact that if God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, He probably hasn't sent me either. See, a religious spirit hopes to see others punished instead of redeemed restored, are reused. But the spirit of righteousness that comes from Jesus only wants to see people redeemed, restored, and reused. Here's the second way a religious spirit operates. is A religious spirit is blind to the grace that is required by you. How many would just admit this morning, I require a lot of grace? Okay, about six of you. The rest of you are amazing. That's, that's awesome. Right? Look at, look at verse number four. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God, doesn't say was, what's the word? Is. You know what that word means? Right now. Present tense. How, how patient and kind God is right now with you. You know, Megan and I were youth pastors for about 15 years, and we had a couple of kids in our youth ministry, which, by the way, we've got uh, several students here today, but we also have about a dozen or so gone to, uh, to, uh, on a retreat for Call to Ministry today. So uh, they'll be home this afternoon. Pray for them. But... Uh, but when I was a youth pastor, I wasn't near as spiritual as Pastor Bethany. I would, I, there were certain kids that I had labels for. And I would call them EGR kids, which meant extra grace required. There was a young man, one day we had about two van loads of kids. We were in downtown Little Rock in heavy traffic. And we stopped at a red light, and this young man thought it would be hilarious to jump out of the side door of the van and run around the van and jump back in before the light turned red, turned turn green. Extra grace required. The fact that I gave him back to his parents alive is evidence that extra grace was required. I'll never forget... We, we were in Branson one day, and there's another young man who we told everyone to be back at, I don't know, let's say 5 o'clock, and he wasn't there at 5, he wasn't there at 5.30, he wasn't there at 6, he wasn't there at 6.15. We've sent everyone back to the bus, and they're on the bus, and me and about six or seven sponsors are 
combing downtown looking for this kid. And when we were about to give up and call his parents and say, you come get the guy. I don't know where he is. About that time, I hear someone say, Pastor Greg. And there's that kid riding on the downtown trolley just waving to have a great time eating his snow cone or whatever. And I'm like, extra grace required. Do you have anyone in your life that is extra? No, don't answer that. Here's, here's, can I just tell you something? I, Greg Sanders, I am EGR. Extra grace required right here. I am exhibit A. The word says, are you blind to the fact that God is right now patient and kind and gracious to you? See, what a religious spirit will do to us is we'll say, why can't those people just get their stuff together like me? And we forget that God is extending His grace to us today. It's only by the grace of God we are what we are. We can do what we can do. And we can worship Him this morning. Not because of our goodness. Not because of our righteousness. Remember, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. It's only by the grace of God that any of us are saved. That any of us can stand before Him and lift our hands to Him. We are all extra grace required. You can go home this afternoon and say, you know, the pastor said you were extra grace required if you want to. But remember, this message is a mirror, not a microscope, right? We're all extra grace required. Romans chapter 3 says there's none of us righteous, not one. 1 John chapter 1 says that if we claim to have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We all need the grace of God. And one of the key giveaways that we've fell prey to religious spirit is when we forget that we need the grace of God. Amen? Number three, a religious spirit refuses to turn from sin. It says, but because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin. See, a religious spirit, first and foremost, is a deceiving spirit. It blinds us to our own need of a Savior. It blinds us to our own need of transformation You know, John 14, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I like what one person said. It said, obedience to Jesus does not create friendship with Jesus, but it's a mark. It's proof that that friendship exists. See, our relationship with Jesus will always pull us closer to Him. It will always pull us to to desire to please Him above everything else, including ourselves. Number four, the fourth component of religious spirit is it rests on past accomplishments of our own instead of an active relationship with Jesus. Look at verse number seven. He will give eternal life to those who, what's those next four words? Keep on doing good. 
keep on doing good. Not those that once upon a time sought Him or once upon a time followed Him, but those who keep on seeking Him, keep on serving Him. And by the way, this is not a process of never measuring up. Instead, this is a this is an ever-living calling to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, keeping fruit that bears witness to the fact that I am in a relationship with Jesus. Number five, a religious spirit rests on human status, our privilege. Look at verse number 11. For God does not show favoritism. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, from now on, we don't regard anyone from simply a human point of view. Though we once viewed Jesus that way. You remember when Jesus showed up on planet Earth? People didn't view Him from a divine perspective. They viewed Him from a human perspective. That's why when He would go to certain cities, He wouldn't be able to do miracles there because they would say things like, Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this just an ordinary guy from Nazareth? He, he, they just knew him from a human point of view. But Paul says from now on, we cannot see others from a human point of view. Instead, if anyone is in Christ, they're a brand new creature. That means all their old is gone, everything else is new. Do you know who the first person is that you have to see as a brand new creation in Christ? It's you. It's you. And then others. We no longer see each other from a fleshly past perspective. And we no longer see ourselves from just a human perspective. What used to bring us prestige and privilege has now been superseded by a greater privilege. Listen to Philippians chapter 3. This is going to be a little bit of a a bulky text, but listen to it just real quick because it, it just talks exactly what Paul uh, is, is talking about, how he has something better than just a religious experience. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrews of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, a zeal for persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless is how he described himself. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, and for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness, righteousness of my own that comes from my own, from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Listen, both religion and righteousness will call you to different activities. They will both call you to a higher level of living. They will both move you towards higher convictions. But can I tell you, religion is done in hoping to measuring up as where a relationship is done in our response of what Christ has already done for us. Number six, the religious spirit 
always pushes sin to be hidden. And Romans 2 kind of lets us know something that we all know. There really is no such thing as hidden sin. I mean, we can hide it from our spouse for a while. We can hide it from our family for a while. We can hide it from some people. It's hard to hide it from all the people. One person said you can hide some things sometimes, but you can't hide, every, hide everything all the time. But here's the, here's the main thing, is that you can't hide anything anytime from God, right? And isn't that who we're trying to please? Isn't that who we're trying to get the well-done, good and faithful servant from? It really doesn't matter if we please everyone who's watching us on planet Earth and we fail to please the Father. If we fail to please Him, we failed. But on the same token, if we fail to please people and we still please God, then that's good enough. Amen? That's all we have to do is hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, He said, there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. But here's the thing. Why would we hide our sin when His righteousness is greater than our sin? Did you know the the depth of your sin is no match for the height of His righteousness? The, the, The explosion, the shame... The, the hurt of our mistakes comes nowhere close to the healing that Jesus provides. That's why I love that Old Testament scripture in Isaiah. It says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are like red as crimson, but they will be as white as wool. What that means is my sin has no match for the grace of God. So why would I hide what Jesus can heal? Why would I run away when God says unto me, come on to me? All you are weary and I will will give you rest. Amen? Don't we understand that all our religion does is postpone the healing Jesus wants to give? Amen? So come to Him. So I've given you a list of what not to do. I've given you a list of identifying what a religious spirit does. So what does it mean to operate in the righteousness of God? Instead of the religion of man, I want to give you these real quick. Megan, if you want to come. Number one, submit your past and present to Jesus. I'm not perfect. But how many know Jesus doesn't say, get your stuff together, then come to me? He says, come. Come. And I'll give you rest. Number two, practice gratitude. For the present grace in my life. Can I tell you, I live with a constant sense of thankfulness of what God has done in my life. 
Sometimes we're in worship service and I've got my hands lifted and I just can't help that the waterfalls become to come out of my eyes. My heart is just gripped with how far God has brought me. The death of my sin has been erased, eradicated, though it once upon a time was true. It's no longer accurate as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God has removed my trespasses from me. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed, but friends, I'm not overwhelmed because I can't get over my past. I'm overwhelmed because I can't get over the fact that Jesus loves me. He gave himself for me and he's still working on my behalf today. It doesn't matter how much mud the devil tries to throw. None of it sticks because of the grace of God. Amen? None of it sticks. I'm thankful. You want to disarm a religious spirit in your life? Just begin to thank God for all he's done for you. Begin to thank God for the grace. Seek a deeper relationship with Him. In other words, don't be satisfied in where I am. He's always, the righteousness of God is always calling us closer and closer. Number four, find your security in Him. If we can't find our security in earthly status, Others may label us, but only Jesus defines us. I can't find my status in what people think. I can't find my status in what I've achieved. I can't find my status in what I've gained. I can't find my status in who likes me or who doesn't like me. I can't find my status in how much money is in my bank account or what kind, of, you know, what kind of car I drive or shoes I wear or whatever. The only status, the only thing, the only security in this life that really matters is my security I find in Jesus. And last, well, Romans reminds us, don't, don't hide your sin. Instead, Confess it immediately. Constantly respond to the searchlight of heaven. Constantly respond to the nudging of the Holy Spirit. I am, you can disagree with me about this if you want to, but I am convinced as long as I'm on planet Earth, the Holy Spirit of God is going to always be nudging me bothering me with something today that maybe he didn't bother me with yesterday. Well, why would he bother me with something today that he didn't bother me with yesterday? Because today he's wanted me to become more like Jesus than I was yesterday. Right? I might not could have handled it yesterday, but since I responded correctly yesterday, since I surrendered to him yesterday, that part, now he's working on me again today. Say, Pastor, isn't that exhausting? No, it's rewarding because every time I say yes to Jesus, I discover a little bit more of his heart, a little bit more of his love, and a little bit more of the abundant grace he has for me. Don't fall prey to a religious spirit. Instead, rely on the righteousness of Jesus. You bow your heads this morning. Say, Pastor, I've been battling 
a religious spirit. You feel that attitude rise up in you from time to time? Maybe you've kept it at bay. Maybe you haven't acted on it. But you just, you find yourself having plenty of grace for yourself, but not much other grace for people. You find yourself harboring over small things in other people's lives when you know you're not dealing with the big thing in your own life. That's the spirit of religion. And listen, I'll just say this. Don't, don't, the, the greatness of God's grace is waiting to flow in your life this morning. If you will simply admit to the Lord, God, I've been making substitutes for you. Sometimes we make substitutes out of good things. Sometimes we make substitutes to God out of bad things. Sometimes we make them out of holy things, and sometimes we make them out of unholy things. But, but all of that can be a substitute if we're relying on our righteousness and not the righteousness of Jesus. And you, today when I was preaching through some of this, I know very little of it was fun to hear. But you felt the Spirit of God working on you, nudging you this morning. And I'm not going to ask you to identify in what way, what area of your life the Holy Spirit was nudging you with this morning. But I want to pray in just a moment. And I want to know to include you in my personal prayer beyond today. So if that's you today, say, Pastor, that I've been, I've been dealing with that, that religious spirit. But today I'm just, I'm just saying no more. I'm not going to rely on my righteousness. I'm going to rely on the righteousness of Jesus completely. If that's you this morning, would you just lift a hand real quick? Just pray for me, Pastor. Amen. 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 All across this room, in the balcony. Amen. Secondly, today, before we pray, you're in the room today. Say, Pastor, I do not have a relationship with Jesus. You've been trusting in other things instead of Jesus to be the guiding factor of your life. It's not that you've been battling a religious spirit. You just, you haven't been trying to follow Jesus at all. It may only be one person a day. It may be a dozen people. But today, say, Pastor, I just, beyond what was spoken or maybe through what was spoken, you know there's an undeniable drawing of God's Spirit on your life today to get things right with Him. I'm so thankful the Word reminds us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. Becoming a Jesus follower is not a, it's not 27 steps over 15 weeks. It is a, right now we can go from death to life. We can go from lost to found. We can go from a person without God to a person who is right with God. And today you say, Pastor, I just sense the Spirit of God drawing my heart. You may not even know how to put it all in words, but you just sense them drawing to become a Jesus follower today. I would love to just know to pray for you as well. Would you lift your hand real quick? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Giving my life to Jesus. Maybe for the very first time. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you followed Him once before, but your relationship with Him has been dormant for a decade. That's you this morning? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for the friends that have lifted their hands around the room this morning. They said they're, they need to begin following you. So God, I pray in the next few minutes of time as we, as a church family, pray this prayer together, they would choose to make this prayer the model of a new beginning. 
of living for Jesus. So church families, you say this prayer out loud with me so those who lifted their hands for salvation can just be encouraged by us saying it together. I've said it a thousand times, I'm sure, that repeating a prayer never changed anyone, but repeating a prayer from your heart can save everyone. So today, the significance of this moment is not in the words you say, but it's in the expression of your heart. We want to just kind of give you some some direction by praying this prayer together. So church, will you pray this with me out loud so others can hear you, hear you? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for living your life for me, dying a sacrificial death for me, rising again on the third day. I acknowledge you're alive right now because I sense you working in my heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my past. I believe you're the Son of God. From this day forward, I'm going to follow Jesus. Lord, lead me, and I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap with those who are giving their lives to Jesus? Amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time and you don't know what to do next, stop by the Connect Center before you. We'd love to put a book in your hands that says... What do I do now? I'll be a guide for your first 30 days. Listen, if, if you lifted your hand and say, I've sensed that religious spirit active in me, as I pray a dismissal prayer over you, would you just surrender that? Just surrender that to the Lord. Father, Lord, you have spoken some things to us this morning. Lord, it, not all of it was the most easiest things to hear. Father, I confess it was not the easiest thing to preach. But Lord, the, the wonderful thing about your word is your word always produces life, it produces peace, and it produces joy when we respond to it. So today, as people are simply responding to what the Word says to them and what your Spirit is saying to them, I pray their relationship with you would flourish. I pray that you would take them to a new level of intimacy, a new level of blessing, to a new level of knowledge of knowing you. Lord, as the Apostle Paul experienced, he said, Knowing you is so much greater than knowing all the things I knew before. Father, lead us and guide us in greater things in the future. And we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hey, it's 1115. If no one's told you yet, they love you. Let me be the first day. I love you. God bless you. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to greet you and meet you. I'll be on the front porch in about 60 seconds. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.